0: Welcome to episode 9 of the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. I'm Lisa Mellis, Digital Marketing Assistant on behalf of TechPixies. We help people return to work, change careers or start a business. This week our founder Joy Foster has been in California at the Entrepreneur Experience and I'm very much looking forward to hearing about that when she gets back. Meanwhile, I had the absolute pleasure of going to the Festival of Female Entrepreneurs in Bristol for Enterprise Nation. The absolute highlight for me was listening to the inspirational Dame Stephanie Steve Shirley, Give a talk. Let me give you a little bit more information about Dame Stephanie Shirley now. She arrived in Britain from Germany as a kinder transport child refugee. After realising her life had been saved, she vowed to make hers a life worth saving. In the 50s, she built computers from scratch and wrote code. She took evening classes for six years to obtain an honours degree in mathematics, something that by today's standards would be very impressive. Uh, but back then would be completely unheard of. After experiencing sexism in the workplace, she was fondled and pushed up against walls. She wanted to create job opportunities for women and employed predominantly only women until the Sex Discrimination Act. It's important to note that she adopted the name Steve to help her in the male-dominated business world. If she wrote a letter using her actual name, the letters were not responded to. If she wrote the name Steve, she managed to get her foot in the door and managed to get conversations going which she wouldn't have done beforehand shirley retired in 1993 and at the age of 60 has since focused on her philanthropy she's donated most of her extensive wealth to charity we're going to treat you to that speech just now just be aware that there's a small glitch in the middle where the wi-fi cut out and also it was recorded on a phone in a large auditorium so we've tried to improve the sound quality slightly hopefully You'll be able to hear it nice and clearly. Yeah. Um, I really hope you enjoy it. Feedback is always welcome. Here we go. Speech from Dame Stephanie Shirley.
1: Well, that's a very good start. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> when you speak in Japan, they applaud before you speak, but not afterwards, and there's that deadly silence. <laughs> We're talking about entrepreneurism and entrepreneurs, are we different sorts of people, I don't know. There are a lot of entrepreneurs in, in very female, stereotypically uh, female areas, you know, fashion, uh, skincare, spas. <laughs> <laughs> but there are far more of us in the real world, in real estate, in media, and of course in the IT discipline that is the basis of all business these days. And IT is my passion, or was my passion, I'm retired. And I'm a lapsed mathematician, turned software engineer, turned ardent philanthropist. And I now really enjoy giving my money away. So let me tell you my story, but you must be aware because the older I get, the better I used to be. (laughs) When Mozart was my age, he'd already been dead for 50 years. (laughs) To get past the gender issues of the early 1960s, um, I set up my own software house, one of the very first high-tech companies in Britain. Um, It was a company of women company for women, an early social <laughs> business. And people laughed at the very idea. You can't sell software <coughs> at that time it was given away free the hardware. And they laughed even louder, a crusade for women, and although women were then coming out to the universities with decent degrees, um, there was really a An invisible barrier to our progress and I'd hate that barrier too often. I wanted opportunities for women. I recruited professionally qualified women who left the computer industry on marriage or when their first child was expected um, and structured them into a home working organisation, a 20th century cottage industry. And we pioneered the concept of women getting back into the workforce after a career break—euphemism for having children. Of course, mm-hmm. we pioneered a whole lot of new work methods, um, all kinds of flexible working, uh, job shares, then profit shares, um, and eventually co-ownership. When I did manage to get a quarter of the company into the hands of the staff at no cost anyone. Maybe. I was doing lots of new things. And for years I was the first woman this, the only woman that. in those days, my generation of women, um, you were not allowed to go on the stock exchange. Um, I wasn't. Women were not able to drive a bus, fly an aeroplane. I couldn't even open the company's bank account without my husband's authorization. My generation of women fought the battles for the right to work and the right for equal pay. <coughs> when strong young men often used to offer to carry my equipment for me, I used to reply somewhat aggressively, I believe in equal pay and will carry my own things. <laughs> Nowadays, I say, oh, how kind. <laughs> No one expected much from women uh, at work or in society because all the expectations then were about home and family responsibilities and I couldn't accept that as I started to challenge the, the, uh, the, the conventions of the time, even to the extent of changing my name from Stephanie to Steve in my business development letters, says so to get through the door and be shaking hands before anyone realised that he was a sheep. My company, <clears throat> my company called freelance programmers, and that was exactly what it was, couldn't have started small on the dining room table with what would now be a hundred pounds but financed by my own labour and by borrowing against our family home. My interests were scientific, the market was commercial, so I hit a sort of compromise with what's called operational research, uh, which has the intellectual challenge that interested me um, and at the same time the commercial value that customers wanted, things such as um, scheduling freight trains for British Rail, timetabling buses, uh, scientific stock control is just coming in, so there were lots of stock control, everything, mm-hmm. giant rolls of, of cable, which lose their value when you cut into a cable, to a tiny pots of ice cream, uh, which of course melt if you keep them too long but gradually some work came in and we disguised the domestic and part-time nature of the workforce by offering fixed prices one of the first to do so in software. Who would have guessed that the programming of the black box flight recorder for supersonic Concorde was done by a bunch of women working in our own homes All we used was a trust the staff approach and the simple telephone. Um, We even used to ask applicants not, do you have a telephone or what's your telephone number, but um, do you have access to a telephone? Um, The past is a very different country. (laughs) An early project was to develop standards of management control protocols. Um, software was and indeed still is a maddeningly hard to to control activity so that was enormously valuable and we used the standards ourselves Uh, we even paid to update them over the years and eventually they were adopted by NATO and I believe some variant is still used today. Our programmers remember only women including gay and transgender, worked with pencil and paper, writing flowcharts, defining the task to be done. And they then wrote code, usually machine code, uh, sometimes binary, uh, which was then sent uh, by snail mail um, to a data center uh, to be punched onto cards card, paper tape, and then re-punched it in order to verify it, all that before it ever got onto the mainframe of the computer. And our scheduled start work were based on two accesses to the computer a week. That was programming in 1962. In 1975, 13 years from the company's startup. Equal Opportunities legislation came in uh, which meant it was illegal to have our pro-female policies. And uh, as an example of mm-hmm. unintended consequences, my women's company, we have to let the men in. <laughs> <laughs> when I started my company of women, the men sort of said, oh, no, how interesting. But of course it only works because it's small. And then if the company grew, uh, they recognized uh, the same thing. Yeah, it, it, it's sizable now, but of no strategic interest. And eventually, when the company was valued at nearly $3 billion, and I made 70 of the staff into millionaires, they had the nerve well done, Steve, but it's nothing new. <laughs> you can always tell ambitious women by the shape of our heads. <laughs> <laughs> They're flat on top for being patronizing. <laughs> women, we do still have long <laughs> Let me share with you two secrets of success. Always surround yourself with people who work smarter than you do, and my colleagues always confirm I do that, <laughs> and choose your partner very carefully. The other day when I said my husband's an angel, a woman complained. You're lucky, she said, mine's still alive. <laughs> Family pressures and indeed crises. Our, <clears throat> our late son Giles, uh, as an only child, um, a beautiful, contented baby. I don't know every mother thinks that. But then, at two and a half, like a changeling in a fairy story. He lost the little speech that he had and turned into a wild, unmanageable toddler. Uh, Not the terrible twos. um, The diagnosis to Bon Chemin was that he was profoundly autistic. He never spoke again. So, my Giles was the first resident in the first home of the first charity that I set up. It was founded to pioneer services for autism. And that now supports uh, 150 adults uh, with autism and keeps a weekly overview of another 100 um, people with autism who, in the main, uh, live independently and we spend one day a week with them. And then I started groundbreaking prize called School for Pupils with Autism, um, that has over 500 staff, uh, plus two robots, and for nearly 100 pupils, uh, young people aged 5 to 25. Then Autistica, which funds autism research. Whenever I find a gap in services, I'm trying to help. Um, I believe in the beauty of work when we do it properly and in humility. Work is not just something I do when I'd rather be doing something else. People remember me from my successes, but oh I've had to recover from several failures. I've quite a lot. And it's resilience that makes for entrepreneurial success. The first recession that I managed through uh, brought things really to a crunch. And it was a rude awakening to realise that uh, it was uh, not I, but rather the market which had driven my company's growth up to then. And being unprepared, I really had to learn how the art of the liquidator, to, to focus on essentials. I got to the stage of selling personal capital items. Our company nearly went bust. Only just survived. And problems were made worse by a breakaway group soon failed. Then most new companies do fail. Most new projects fail. Yet every venture is rooted in something else. My advice to you as female entrepreneurs is to be the very best that you can. And in in your own way, don't ape the men's and just let sexist prejudice roll off. It can even be an advantage. Among the multitude of men, those of us present are more likely to be remembered. Thank you very much.
0: I think you'll agree that was a fantastic speech and I definitely left feeling inspired. Her book, Let It Go, is available now. I've downloaded it from Audible, and it's fantastic. You can also donate money to Autistica if you're feeling like you wanted to contribute. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll catch you here next week.